A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you, I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, we titled the sermon series in the next six weeks. It's simply called Potential. Now, if you remember that when you're a parent... You always go to your children and you look at the report cards or you look at their behavior and you say, if this is the best I thought you could do, then I would be happy with it, right? But I know this is not your potential. Now, I don't know if you heard that when you were a kid. I heard that all the time from my dad and mom, that I wasn't living up to my potential. And so I want to start off with telling you a story. There's a story about a bunch of acorns that were gathered together in a circle, they kind of landed there. And these acorns were arguing among each other, they were discussing among each other who had the nicest skin, who was the biggest acorn, who was the slimmest acorn. And so they've spent their time discussing this year after year after year. They were left alone a lot of times except for a squirrel here and there. But there was a brand new kind of green acorn that landed in the pile. And that green acorn was looking around and saying, I wonder if they know, they know what they're supposed to be. Because he heard them arguing a lot among themselves. And so he interrupted all the other acorns and, and simply said, guys, do you know who you are? Do you know what you're supposed to be? And the other acorn said, no. And so the new acorn pointed to a tree like this and said, you're supposed to be like this. This is who you are. And then they had started arguing about each other and went on and never became the oaks that God created them to be. Now, I use this illustration. It was a simple illustration. It was about potential. Are we living up to our potential? Are you living up to potential? As me, as Kevin, am I living up to my potential as a person as well? And so Jesus said something similar, and I always imagine Jesus holding wheat and taking seeds out of the wheat 
and saying this to his disciples right before he went to the cross. It says this, Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now Jesus was talking here because his death was inevitable. It was coming very soon. In fact, Jesus was saying, without death, there is no resurrection. There has to be death. And so I look at this in my own life. Do I want to live up to my potential? Do I want this resurrection in my life? In order for a resurrection in our lives, there has to be a death in our lives. We always say this, I want our marriage resurrected. I want a newness in my life. I want a newness in this. I want, I want this to go well. But in order for that, for that resurrection, there has to be a death. And so follow me on the screen. For our full potential to emerge, we have to be changed. For change to take place, something has to die. The seed can't become a plant unless the seed dies and fuller and uh, a fuller and more true version of ourself can't emerge as long as we, current self stays the same. It's hard to change, isn't it? It's easy to be an acorn. It's easy to say, hey, I'm the shinier loser than you are, and I'm going to do this. And so that we all know that we're not living the best that we can be. And we all know that we have tons of potential if you think about it. We see potential in others, don't we? When we look at somebody, I always look at people that don't have tremors, that don't have a learning disability, that don't have a speech impediment like I do. I look at you guys and I go, my goodness, the potential you guys have. But yet I don't see the potential in me. And I, and I think we're all the same way in that. And so what Jesus taught us about letting our potential out, out is really counterintuitive to what our culture says. Our culture is self-discipline. Our culture is self-driven. Our culture is you go, you do it, you do it. But it seems a little backwards here of what Christ tells us. It seems like the opposite. In fact, if you want to be happy and want to be successful, it's exactly the opposite of what our society tells us. In fact, if you look on the screen, instead of telling us to do more, to unleash our potential, Jesus tells us to go, go in the ground and die. A seed lying in the ground is not trying to do anything, but only when it's buried, that thing starts to happen to that seed. It begins to transform into a plant that will sprout up and bear fruit. Lent is a time for us to go in the ground and die like a seed so that God can work in our hearts and unleash our potential. Here's the problem with your pastor. Like you don't know he has problems. <laughs> but here's the, past, here's the problem with me. I've embraced most of my life three lies about who I am. And I realize in order to fulfill my potential, I have to realize these are lies that our world tells us about who we are. And so it's fascinating. I was looking at this, I'm going, oh my goodness. Now, let me set up the gospel reading. Jesus wasn't pronounced as a Messiah yet. Jesus didn't do any miracles yet. Jesus didn't have any followers or disciples. Jesus was simply baptized. And then he was baptized. He went out the wilderness 
to be tempted. Now, I look at this passage and I go, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Follow me on this. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. It's just like Lent. In which he, liked, in which he was being grounded. He even stopped eating so that the God the Father could speak to his heart. Now, in order for God to work in his heart to prepare him, he had to go through this test. And the story reads that these three basic lies that Satan was trying to give him are three basic lies your pastor has embraced at times in his life. Now, the thing is, once we embrace these lies, our projection goes off a little, and we start chasing things that we shouldn't be chasing. And we start going in a direction, and we think, this is our full potential. But we grab into these lies, and we go this way instead of this way, where God's called us. Here are the three lies, and I put them on the screen. You are what you do. The second lie, you are what you have. And the third lie is you are who people think you say you are. Now those are the three lies that I just embrace on a daily basis sometimes. Because first, Jesus was told, told the lie that he was what he did. In fact, when Satan came up to him and tempted him, it's in Luke chapter 4, verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, talking about antagonizing him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become loaf of bread. In other words, do something about your situation. You have it, you do it, you have the resources, do it. Make it happen. And so Jesus rejected this lie, and at times Jesus was being obedient because Jesus was focused on the spiritual food for connecting with his Father rather than physical food. Because basically Jesus was tempted to be self-centered. Do this miracle for you. Now understand this. After the temptation, after he went through all this temptation, what was some of his biggest miracles? It had to do with food. It was interesting. He fed 5,000, incredible miracle. He turned wa uh, water into wine, another big miracle. And if you notice that he could easily have fed one person himself, then 5,000 plus the children plus the, the wives. The reason he was doing miracles was for others to serve. He was serving others. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about his identity and who he is here. And so he turned the water into wine. He did these incredible miracles for others. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you introduce yourself to somebody or, or you go to a party, like we were at a gala last week and we were introducing people around uh, the table, and we always ask this, uh, hi, my name's Kevin. What's your name? My name's so-and-so. And then when the conversation kind of takes place, we go, what do you do, right? What do you do? And so therefore, you just go, well, I'm a pastor of a funky little church. Okay, let me, I gotta get a bigger title than this. You know, and then all of a sudden, people have these huge titles, you notice that? And they got this big title and the 18 letters, that's who I am. You go, nice to meet you, I'm so intimidated by you right now. <laughs> because your title, who, what you do is more important than what I do. So therefore, my self-worth is in what I do. And so this is, fascinates me if you, if you look at this because a lot of us get into this. And in fact, I don't know if anyone has asked you, instead of what you do, could you imagine if someone asked you, who are you? Tell me who you are. 
I bet you 99.9% of us would go explain what we do instead of who we are. And if you think about this, who you are, it's hard to tell anybody because a lot of us do not know who we are because it's so connected in what we do. And so this is one of the lies that Satan tells us, that basically your worth is in what you do. The second lie Jesus faced was to believe that he was what he had. Verse 5, follow me here. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all the authority, for it has been given over to me, and I will give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Have you heard the other saying, your net worth is your self-worth? Right? So you look at those digits or those lack of digits. Hey, let me tell you, just two weeks ago, I went from being a hundredaire to a thousandaire. Now my goal is a millionaire. <laughs> so the thing is, when I look at those digits, man, if my net worth and what was my self-worth, that would be sad. Because we look at this, we compare ourselves. And so when we see very wealthy people that have huge homes or hold things, we go, man, I wish I was them. I wish I had what they had. And so it's so tied up. It's interesting that Satan, the devil, if you really study it, he says, if you worship me, but basically that means if you worship yourself. Because a lot of us, when we're self-centered or narcissistic, our worship is ourself. We are number one. And so following me on the screen, this is what produces greed. Because how much is enough money to have for the week? It's just more. You look at people with lots of money. See, greed is a type of self-worth that makes your self-worth dependent on your net worth. And so what you say is, some of the most greediest people are the most ungiving people because it's hard for them to give because their mentality is, I've earned this. This is my money. Go earn your money. And the lack of compassion and lack, lack of empathy. The third lie Jesus faced to believe that he was what other people thought or said he was. Follow me on the screen. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, placed him in a pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on the hands, on the hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. This is what you call, everybody wants what's called positive attention, Right? We love attention, and it better be positive. We don't want the negative attention. Forget that. I don't know how people on the media or how doing this where the world just thinks you're the biggest loser on the planet. And somehow the world can just, <laughs> it does it. And so therefore, social media is known as what's called the influencer now. Not TV, not rich people, social media. And so I did this this crazy study on social media. We have 625 people that subscribe to our church website, or not our church website, our Facebook. And I go, ooh. Then I look on YouTube, 
And I like, have you guys heard of uh, PewDiePie? I think. PewDiePie, is that it? PewDiePie, PewDiePie. He's a gamer. You know how many subscribers this guy has? Almost 19 million subscribers. And I watched it this morning, and I don't get it. He just, I just don't get it. He just wears headphones and talks. But he got 18 million. And so therefore, what happens is when people are such influencers, whatever they wear, whatever they do, whatever they say, it is embraced by our society. And so therefore, people are famous for being famous, right? I still can't understand what the Kardashians do. I can't figure out what they do. But they're famous for being famous. They make a lot of money being famous. And so therefore, they're trendsetters, they're influencers. And so these days, people love to get attention. And the more attention they get, the more self-worth they feel they have. Follow me on the screen. These days, self-worth for many is directly related to the number of Instagram followers or Facebook likes. So people learn to manage their ideal online image, but often lose sight of who they really are in the process. I've subscribed to a bunch of channels on YouTube. They're all about Teslas or, or homes and stuff like this. You can see what I like. And, or, or travel channels. Four of those travel channels just stopped. And I, I was wondering, where are they going? So I, I said, I like them. And so I would try to do research. Four of them got divorces. And I was thinking, how in the world could they get divorced? They were so happy. They travel around the world and all this stuff because they're projecting an image of I want to be liked and I want to do this. And the thing is, if, and, and I've learned this of just being myself, when you want people to like you like I do, your authenticity is gone. Because all of a sudden you're projecting something. They go, we like you, Pastor Kevin. We like you. We like you. And then deep down I'm thinking, you guys don't know me. Because I'm projecting something that I think you might like, right? And so what happens, we lose our authenticity. We lose our potential, what God has called us to be. Because we're not using these areas of our life that we're hiding, that we're saying, I'm embarrassed of, I'm hurt by. But God can take these pains and all these things about who you are. And in my marriage, my first time I met Jennifer was the first time I was authentic in a relationship. And it was so freeing. And when she said, I love you, Kevin, I accepted it because she knew me. You see how that goes? And so we can't just chase this. The third thing here, the third lie, and the third, so those are the three lies. And so what I want to tell you is, what is the truth? Because instead of these three lies for us to embrace, we have to embrace the truth. Um, one of my counseling sessions, I went to a counselor for five years every week. And he, he kept focusing start and stop, start and stop, start and stop. Before you stop something, you have to start something. You can't not stop it and stop it, but you have to replace it with something else. And so in these three lies, I've learned to start and stop. If I stop listening to these lies, what do I need to start then? I need to start with the one basic truth of who I am. So if somebody says, Kevin, who are you? Not what you do. 
is on the screen, I'm a child of God. And therefore, God dearly loves me, and he's pleased with me. You are a child of God. Therefore, God dearly loves you and is pleased with you. The truth is what Jesus heard, in fact, what he did right before he, um, right before he was, right after he was baptized, this is a voice from heaven came down to Jesus. That basically in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. That was right prior to those three lies coming at him. And so Jesus started something. He started to listen to his father about who he is. So when these three lies of the world came, didn't have any effect on him, did it? He didn't base his value on his power. He didn't base his value on who he is. He didn't base his value on, on what people said he was. Because if, if Jesus at times was not liked, you've got to understand, on his first sermon, he was trying to throw him off a cliff. But he was consistent. And so follow me on the screen. Jesus gave his life to shatter the lies of the devil. So we, know, so we can know the truth of who we really are. As scripture tells us that we would be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. Lent is a way to stop chasing these lies. Lent is all about, about grounding ourselves with one basic truth. And that basic truth is who you are. You are a beautiful child of God whom he's well pleased. That is the absolute truth of what God is saying to you. And when we begin to embrace that promise, that, that promise that he says to us, or that truth that he says to us, and we soak it up, then the lies that are told about us in our society just go off like wire off a duck's back. Follow me on the screen. The truth. You are my beloved child. In you, I am well pleased. You are ready, my child, so you can't do anything to earn that status. Your wealth can't buy my love because I already love you unconditionally. I am pleased with you, whether others are or not, because I made you. During Lent, I want to challenge us in the next 40 days to really embrace this truth. And maybe you're a doer, maybe you're a workaholic, maybe you do things in order to earn validation. Because we do this a lot, right? Validate me, validate me, please validate me. And, and I do this a lot. You ever do something around the house and no one notices it? Or, or it's funny because when I don't do something wrong and I'm not noticed that I don't do anything wrong, and somehow what we do is we go, did you see what I did? <laughs> no. Well, let me tell you what I did. You see the validation within? And so therefore, God has already validated us. God has already loved us. We do this at work. We do this all. And the need for validation is really, and let me tell you, I struggle with this. It's really something that takes the joy away when I'm, you're constantly wanting to be validated. It does. I know it does. And so this is where God finds us and releases this potential into this world. This is why 
We have talked about Grace Track as a, as a staff since May. May. It was written in May, June, July, August, September. And then we took a beta group through it. And then it was rewritten in November, January, February. And it just finished the writing. It's getting proofread now. And so this is something, it's about the need of heroes in this world right now. It's about how we can reach our potential, tons of potential. Because this church has incredible potential. Your pastor is not living up to his potential either. I thought I was. I thought I broke all the, the, uh, the barriers of, of my physical stuff, my heart problems and, and tremors and all that stuff. I thought, wow, I'm doing far beyond my potential because nobody had been a pastor with this many disabilities. That was pride. And I think God goes, Kevin, you have not hit even 5% of your potential. You need to trust me. You need to believe what I tell you, who you are. And can you imagine if all of us even live up to 70% of our potential, 80%, even 90% of our potential? So I want to encourage you that a grace track sign up for next week and um, sign up for it. And it starts Palm Sunday. I'm excited about Palm Sunday. There's something that I want to tell you guys that I can't tell you. <laughs> but 20 years, 21 years ago, I stood between those two poles and I had this vision. I go, I wonder if I could do this. And I never could get it. And so I'm going to announce, it looks like it's this close now. For 21 years, I've been holding, I've been focusing on this, I've been praying about this. 21 years, this church. And so hopefully I get to announce it during Lent. Because when I'm talking about potential, you haven't seen potential yet for this church. With a lot of prayers, and you are the church. And so if the worship team can come forward at this time, and, um, and I just want to encourage you to be here the next six weeks um, for this series called Potential. We are going through this journey together to fulfill the potential of what God has given you. Many of you have forgot about your dreams. Many of you have given up. Or many of us, our dreams are so limited that we think we can do it on our own strength. But you and I have incredible potential. May God bless you. May God bless his word.